So you might be looking at your worship guide and saying, uh, unless Wes has shrunk four inches and grown hair, he's, he's not preaching today. And you would be correct. I got a call from Wes this morning at six. He's not feeling well. Uh, so, uh, so I'm filling in this morning for him. There's a story by a guy named William Williman, the, the former chaplain at Duke University, about a conversation he had with a good friend over lunch. The, the friend was telling him how a, a couple of weeks ago he had had his furnace checked because it was malfunctioning. The service guys came and looked at it and said it was fine. And then a couple of weeks later, on a Saturday morning early, he woke up with a pounding headache. And he began to get out of bed. He was so exhausted, he, he, he just slumped back into bed, thought it had been a long week, so he needed extra sleep. Then he woke up again just before noon. The headache had gotten worse. He, could, he was so groggy, and he noticed that his alarm clock, or his clock, said noon. And he began to struggle to get out of bed, but again, he was too tired. He began to fall back into bed when, when a, a, a young girl, dressed in white, stood next to his bed. And he remember thinking, oh, who is this? I, why should, is he in the house? And she said, if you don't get up and get out now, you're never going to get out. So he struggled out. He collapsed on the steps. The inspectors came and his house was full of carbon monoxide. Now, Willman says that he's known this particular guy for many years, and he's not a guy who is given to flights of fancy, very logical in his approach to life. But the man told Willman, I think that child in my room was some sort of angel. I think God sent her to warn me. Willman, despite being a chaplain and a pastor, was like, wow, I'm not sure what to think of this. Then he, he warned his friend, he told his friend, you might want to be careful in who you share that story with because there's no telling what they might think. And the guy responded, all I know is a few minutes more, and I would have been dead. What do you do when someone tells you a story that, that seems to stretch the bounds of, of what you've experienced in life? What do you do when you experience that sort of story yourself? Do you, do you keep it to yourself because you're not sure what people might think and how they might respond to it? Or do you, or do you share it? Today we're continuing our sermon series, Blessed, as you can tell from the, the video intro. If you, this is your first Sunday with us, to give you this, this a real brief synopsis of what we're doing. Um, we are blessed to be a blessing. Scripture is very clear about that. We are blessed to be a blessing to the world and the people around us. We are, we are encouraged and challenged to join in with Jesus' mission. What is Jesus' mission? There's many ways you can communicate or express that, but it boils down to Jesus' came to earth to reach people who were far from him, to restore them to a relationship with him and all of God's blessings and purposes for them, and then to reproduce that mission in the lives of the people who followed him. We're called to do the same. We're called to come alongside Jesus, to, to be a part of reaching people who are far from him, to restore them to a relationship with him and all that comes with that, and then to reproduce that again and again in the lives of people around us. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so far in our sermon series, we looked at the be of blessed, which is to begin with prayer. Who has God placed upon your heart? That you, would, that you begin to pray for those people on a regular basis, believing that the Holy Spirit's working in your life and working in their life, and that eventually there'll be an opportunity. The L of blessed, we looked at that. Listen. 
You know, sometimes we rush in. I have this, what I want to share. I'm going to tell them what to think. I'm going to debate. I'm going to argue. I'm going to have all these questions and answers. But we need to begin with where they're respecting them, where they're at, to listen, to listen well, to ask questions, yes, but to listen and listen well. E, eat, to experience life with them, to do life with them, to, to show, uh, to build a connection with them. S, last week, serve, and this week, share your story. And today the story we're looking at is found in John 9, and it's, um, it's, it's a pretty powerful story. And it was a story that many who first heard it and many who first experienced it, had a, they had a hard time wrapping their mind around it. It was a story that they really didn't want to believe. So let's pick it up now in John chapter 9. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 9. And uh, it's a long passage, but we're going to kind of work our way through, read portions, make some comments, and and keep moving forward. So a bit of background here before we jump into John 9. In the previous chapters of John 9, there's increasing tension between Jesus and uh, the religious establishment, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers, the preachers, the rabbis. There's this growing tension. For example, in uh, John 5, 5, Jesus heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And it upsets them, and they begin to plot, it says, to kill Jesus. Seems kind of a harsh reaction, overreaction. In uh, chapter 6, Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people. People flock to him because of his miracles. But then Jesus teaches some some tough things, like, uh, you you know, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat of me and depend upon me completely, and, you know, if you do this, you'll live forever. And and some people, this this just seems too... Hard to understand and hard to believe, and it says many people turned away. In chapter 7, Jesus teaches at the temple that whoever comes to him will receive streams of living water, and the religious leaders try to kill him. In chapter 8, the tension ratchets up even more. Uh, They try to trick him and trap him. They bring a woman who's been caught in adultery before him, and they tell him, you know, what do we do with this? You know, so if you know, and Jesus says, whoever has not sinned, let them cast. The first stone and the tables are turned and they walk away, no doubt, frustrated and angry. So here in chapter nine, once again, we find Jesus and the religious leaders in conflict. Let's begin with verse one. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, why did the disciples ask such a question when they see this blind guy? Who sinned? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? What's the cause of his blindness? Somebody had to do something wrong for this to happen. And, and, this, and, and the reason they asked this was this was a teaching that illness was a direct result of sin that was being propagated you know, in, in religious circles of Jesus' day. And we see the same sort of theology evidenced in the book of Job. Remember the story of Job? Job suffers tragedy after tragedy, suffering after suffering, until he's left with nothing. His friends come to him, To comfort him, what did they say? Essentially, you must have done something wrong for this to have happened. So the religious leaders 
And the disciples here in John 9, they're simply parroting what they had been taught and what they believed, what they kind of, kind of absorbed. Now, before we look at Jesus' response here, let's acknowledge that sometimes, notice I said sometimes, sometimes the pain we experience in life is the result of our sin, our choices. You know, if you choose to associate with people who are not good for you or, the, or you eat the wrong foods or you drink the wrong things or, or you do certain things or don't, whatever it might be, as life teaches us, our choices usually have consequences. So sometimes the pain that we have can be a result of choices, but not in every case, certainly. And it's not the case here. This man is blind from birth simply because he lives in a fallen world. And yet Jesus tells us that God will use this situation to bring glory to himself through the man's life. Now, how can that be? You know, God can use the worst of circumstances to bring glory to himself and do something wonderful in our lives. Perhaps it might be physical healing, like here. Maybe it will be the development of a, of a deep, strong faith that inspires others. Sometimes it's both. Fanny Crosby, you might recognize that name. She wrote hundreds of hymns some of which we still sing today. One of them is Blessed Assurance Jesus is Mine. She was blind from her earliest days as a result of an accident. When she was only eight years old, she wrote this little rhyme. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She lived to be over 90 years old. And her hymns have blessed millions of people. The work of God was displayed in and through her life. So in verse 3, Jesus challenges the, the theology of the day that, you know, that physical ailments... This guy's blindness result of, of sin. He challenges their theology and their thinking. And then in verse 6, he heals the guy. Pick it up. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word meant scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And it so often happens when God intervenes and does something that blows our mind, people become divided. An argument begins to break out amongst the neighbors and other people in the community who have seen this guy. And they're divided whether this is actually the right guy. No, that can't be Joe. I mean, he was just blind this morning. He's been blind forever. There's no way this is Joe. Others are like, yeah, it looks like Joe. It sounds like Joe. It must be Joe. And these groups are arguing, and the guy, the blind guy who was blind now can see he's walking around saying, no, it's me, it's, it's Joe. I'm the same guy. I'm the guy who has lived next to you and lived with you for, for years. They keep pestering him saying, well, then how are your eyes opened? They can't conceive of a story like this. They, they can't see what's right in front of their eyes because it doesn't fit into their conception of how God works and what he could do and what's, what's possible. And the guy keeps telling him, hey, Jesus did this. He put mud on my eyes and sent me to wash it off in Siloam. They don't know what to do with this, so they, they take this man to the guy who has been teaching them this theology. The Pharisees. 
Let's see how they respond in verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So, it's not, he, he's not from God because he healed somebody. No, it's not from, he's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous things? So they were divided. Now, a couple of things to note. Again, we see that when God intervenes, when he acts in powerful ways, often division occurs between maybe those who believe and those who don't. Sometimes, in this case, those who believe in God and those who believe in God. Another thing to note is that some of the Pharisees held so tightly to their, their thinking, their theology, their understanding of who God was and what he would do, that there's no room, no possibility at all for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. It's not allowed. There's a time and place for everything, and their timetable does not allow for this to happen. Can't be. Just can't conceive it. But they miss the point. They miss out on what God has for them. They could not and would not accept the evidence right in front of their eyes. So they bring in the blind guy's parents to confirm it was actually their son and actually that he had been born blind. Verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? So the parents, they put the pressure back on their son. They're, they're worried. They're scared. Because these guys, these leaders, they have clout. They can, they can excommunicate them. They can throw them out of the synagogue, which would be the, the worst thing that could happen to a practicing, devout Jewish person. So they throw the pressure back to their son. We know he's our son. We know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And then they turn the pressure back on the healed man. Verse 24. Give glory to God. In other words, tell the truth. We know this guy. We know you're a sinner. We, we know that this is a result of something you've done wrong. There's no way that this could be this guy here who, who breaks our rules and confronts our theology. There's no way that he could actually be the one who, who healed you. It's ironic, isn't it? You know, when you think about it, they're the ones who are blind. They, they can't see. And, and they won't see. Now contrast that to the, the, the man, the healed man in verse 25. He says this, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. Hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with somebody's Experience when it's that forthright. He's not saying, you know, I, 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 I had this kind of dream in the middle of the night and now I believe. No, it's I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. That's the thing I'm sure about. And the guy, you think about it, he doesn't even, he doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. Because when Jesus sends him to the pool, he's still blind. He says, I don't know this guy. This is the first time I've seen him, but this is the guy who who helped me to see. He healed me. He begins to see not just Jesus physically, he begins to see him a little bit spiritually. And he begins to defend Jesus against his interrogators. Verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? He gets a little bit sarcastic then. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. You know, when we stand up for Jesus, sometimes there's going to be pushback. Sometimes there'll be misunderstanding. Sometimes we might even feel attacked. When we give witness to what God has done in our lives, and when it confronts somebody's worldview or understanding of things, sometimes we're going to get opposition. This is what happens for this guy here. But he doesn't back down. Verse 30. Now, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly one who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. They cannot let go of their theology about this, their, their reason to reject his experience and to reject Jesus. You were steeped in, birth, in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. But the man stands firm. This is a fantastic example for us to share our faith, isn't it? You know, we often think we have to have all our ducks in a row. We have to have every question thought out in advance, every answer pre-programmed. We have to have these verses uh, memorized. We have to be perfectly consistent in everything we do in life to be people where we can share our story lest they say we're, we're hypocrites. We have to have it all together. It's good to do those things, to prepare, to, to line up our, our actions and our words and our beliefs. And, and all. It's good to prepare and study. But we can't use that as an excuse not to share our story. And the guy spoke powerfully here about what Jesus had done. And he certainly knew way, way, way less than we do. And what happens when he does this, his, his eyesight spiritually becomes more and more clear. He begins to see who Jesus is. He begins to see Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, and he worships him, which is what a, what a real experience with Jesus always leads to worship. It's not just mental assent. It should lead to worship. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. His healing was now complete. What a story. You know, each one of us have a story who have put our trust in Christ. Uh, we may feel like our story you know, pales in comparison. You know, we weren't blind and now we are and this and that. But we each have a story. And each of our stories is a miracle. Because we don't choose God. God chooses us. We don't conjure up our belief. The Holy Spirit allows us to believe. We don't, we don't 
birth ourselves again, the Holy Spirit births us again. We are born again. And that's something we can't do ourselves. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that the God of the universe who created everything reaches into our lives and and brings us to life in him. That's a miracle. That's a powerful story worth sharing. And we have a responsibility. We have the privilege as part of our our call to bless the people around us is to to share our stories winsomely, truthfully, not high pressure, not manipulatively, but just to share our story. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all my questions answered. I, I don't know everything, but this is I do know. This is my life. I met Jesus. Now this is my life.